Welcome to a drink of wisdom. Nathan Drinkard. I'm Jay Wise. Thanks for spending some of your time with us. We're on Anchor. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on a bunch of other podcasts and platforms. And we're also on the A Drink of Wisdom YouTube channel. You can check us out on all those locations. Drink, great to be back in the lab with you. Yeah, you know, it's always a good time to be in the lab, baby. You know what time it is. So, you know, how everything with you, man? How are things going with you and yours? Great, great, ready to get going. You? You know, it's another day, another dollar. Got to give the streets what they need. We say what they don't, see what they want, and uh, set your dinner plates because it's time to eat. But last but not least, let's talk some sports, baby. Let's roll, Jay. What we got? All right, this is episode 13 of season three, and we're going to talk Knicks Bowls and check in on the World Series and preview the weekend in college football. We're going to start in the NFL with Thursday Night Football, where the there are no more undefeated teams in the league this year as the Green Bay Packers went on the road to Arizona and they take down the Cardinals 24-21. Cardinals had a late 12-play, 94-yard drive, came up just short when Kyler Murray was intercepted in the end zone by Rasul Douglas, by Rasul Douglas on a pass intended for A.J. Green. Aaron Rodgers on the night, 22 for 37, 184 yards. He had two touchdowns. Big night running the football from A.J. Dillon. He had 16 carries, 78 yards. And Aaron Jones had 110 all-purpose yards. Meanwhile, Kyler Murray, not a great night. 22 of 33, 274 yards, two interceptions. DeAndre Hopkins, two catches for 66 yards, but he would leave the game with an injury of some sorts. A.J. Green, five catches, 50 yards, and also more catches apiece for Christian Kirk and Zach Ertz. Jordan Hicks, 12 tackles in a losing effort. Drink, uh, as I said, the Cardinals now have joined the ranks of the mortal they have now lost a game did this um for you did this put the packers up top in the nfc well i, I would say this um when when the packers are full strength you know we we consider them one of the top you know three teams in the nfc they wasn't full strength and they played a team that we consider, you know, I mean, a little banged up. I'm not going to, you know, no, no J.J. Watt, you know, et cetera. We seen DeAndre Hopkins. He wasn't 100%, even though he, he came out and gave it the, the old college boy try, as they call it. Um, and he gave it what he could. Um, but all in all, let's say, man, how could you not, you know, at this moment, maybe call them what one of the top two teams. I mean, listen, we still got the Bucks out here. We still got the Rams out here. You got to show respect to those teams. But you know, this was a prime time clash against two two of the top teams. So if this was college football, we would be saying, well, hey, you know, you know, this 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 was like a Oregon and you know Ohio State type game here. Like, hey, we had one team that's a proven commodity in the top of the divi- uh, top of the conference that being the Packers, and then we had a rising upcomer, you know, coming up in here being the Cardinals, and we wanted to see if they was for real. Now, I would say this. I do still believe the Cardinals are a real team. However, as we seen last night, they have some things that now you have on tape that you can attack them with. Um, and we seen that last night. And, uh, you know, one, one thing I thought – the Packers did well that the Cardinals didn't was they adjusted. I think the Packers went into this game knowing we're going to try some things. It might not work, but we're going to, we, as long as we can adjust those, make those in-game adjustments, we'll be just fine. Listen, we were just talking about this in the show. Think about this. Defense coordinator, you know, he gets put on the COVID-19 list. 
he doesn't make the trip. So they got this whole like triangle of communication going on from the DB coach to the linebacker coach to the, you know the player on the D line to the linebackers. I mean, it was fantastic to see over here. I, I, I equate it to you know a high level baseball game where you got the you know the signals going left, right, up and down. You got to do what you got to do. Um, I was impressed with that. And keep in mind, the mics in the helmet do go off after a certain amount of time. So these guys got to work to get these get these plays in and get these guys in the right position. And they was in the right position as well. Um, so I can't I, – listen, one thing I would say is when teams do bad, we tend to say, hey, what was the coaching? The, co- the lack of coaching, the bad coaching – Yo, what was the coach doing? What was the offense coordinator doing? What the defense coordinator doing? What, what, what was the head coach doing? When they do well, we said, man, those players went out there and really executed the scheme. Well, where, where do they get the scheme from? The coach. So if we say they execute the scheme during a good time, we have to acknowledge that Matt LaFleur and, and those two coaches that, that, that stepped in on the defense side of the ball and, and worked together in tandem, they say it's a team game, and they weren't lying on that coaching staff last night. It was definitely a team game. Um, we, we have to give them kudos, man. The Packers was fighting an uphill battle all night, and they just kept punching and kept punching and kept punching. They made, they made Kyler Murray very uncomfortable. Kyler Murray had to work for everything he got. I mean – the easiest play they had last night was the Wildcat that Chase Edmond just turned up and went straight into the end zone. I mean, that was the easiest play for him. Everything else was like tooth and nail. Well, you know, Kyler Murray got hit a few times last night. Like I said, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, I, I don't know what he was arguing about on that first catch. You can't drag the defender 20 yards down the you know, sideline and get away with it, DeAndre. Listen, I look, help, listen you, you top two wide receiver in the league to me. I got it, but come on, man. You, you you out here like an NBA player crying about you know the call. That's not it. You cannot hook your fingers in his face mask and then drag him. You can't do that. They're gonna call that every time. Um, but the, you had that play, and then you know, <laughs> I would be remiss if I ain't talk about AJ AJ Green falling asleep in that last play in the end zone. Um, AJ, listen, you too good of a wide receiver. You've been in the league too long to not understand when you're passing the ball and when you're running the ball. No, I got it. Little confusion, because you got Kyler Murray. We know if he breaks the pocket, he's prone to run. However, you didn't have any touchdowns. I mean, I'm sorry. You didn't have any timeouts left, right? And if you run the ball in that in that instant and you get stopped short, you, you, you're fresh out of luck. So you kind of had to know a pass is coming. If you got trips on the left and you the solo man to the right, you got to kind of know that I'm probably going to be the guy to get this ball either on a fade or a back shoulder throw. Rasul Butler knew it was coming. I can tell you that right now. He, he knew it was coming. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, man. Like, that miscommunication, I, I guess you can put it on Kyler Murray too, but I, in my opinion, I think that's A.J. Green's fault. I do think you – He's just too good of a player not to know what, what situation you're in. It's called situational awareness, and, and I felt like A.J. Green fell asleep. Um, but to that credit, he might have fell asleep because, hey, the Packers' defense came to play. I mean, 
you you heard I was listening to Troy Eggman and Joe Buck. They were saying, hey, the Packers defense, the the secondary gonna have some decision to make when Yaya Rodriguez come back. Now I don't necessarily agree with that because from what I seen, all I seen was Kevin King gonna catch the bench. That's what I seen. Now maybe um maybe maybe I'm I'm, I'm missing that, but. I just think you bring in Yaya Rodriguez, Rasul Butler. Evidently, he he wants to play. He played very well last night. I thought. Um, I got it. You just signed him off the the Arizona practice squad. But hey, another man's trash is another man's treasure, and that's what that was last night. He he was the old diamond in the rough for the old Green Bay last night. I thought he played well. So maybe you got something in that secondary when Yaya Rodriguez. Because I know he ain't going nowhere. I know when he come back, he going to get his position. So I think you got something. Then, you know, we always talk about, this, the, you know, um, one of uh, Pre- Preston Smith, I think it was. Like one, one of the – because I don't remember. But the, the front line coming in, doing their thing, um, they, they kept pressure – I thought on, on Murray all night. Man, and listen, I've been hearing all these good things about this offensive line for Arizona. My man, let me tell you, it was a massacre in the trenches, baby. It just was on both sides of the ball for Arizona. So if I had to look at the Arizona differently from last, you know, after last night's game, I got to say, man, that, that trench work was a little questionable at best. Because um, listen, you said this before the show. We always talk about this. Um, Green Bay looks a little soft when they're playing the, the top topper tier teams in the NFL, whether that's NFC or AFC. It don't really matter. They usually get be more finesse. Last night, they was more power, baby. They brought the aggression. They brought the juice. They brought the Red Bulls, and they ain't talking the wings. They came in there. They did their thing. And look, here's the thing, right? What another reason I have to give Matt LaFleur some credit, and I know that that's not your favorite guy right now, but listen, I gotta give him some credit. In that first series when Green Bay came out, they came out in the three wide receiver set, right? Randall Cobb and two dudes we barely know, right? We came out there, that that didn't cut it. That they knew right off the rip when when that when that possession was over, they was like, listen, we're, this is not gonna work against the Cardinals. So what did they do? They went back to the lab. Aaron Rodgers talked to Matt LaFleur. What we want to do? That's changed the scheme. They went to the, the you know, more of a, a two, you know, two tight end set, power back set, and then AJ Dillon, um, Aaron Jones, they went to work and went the work they did. And um, let me I just tell you, in the future here, and I, I got it, you got Aaron Rodgers. So, like Troy Aikman said, you would throw the ball more than you would run it. I got that, but let dare I say, that looked like it could be a good identity for them. If those two guys stay healthy, I really like how they control the pace of the game. I really like that. Now, you get Devontae Adams back, he's not, you know what I mean, he's not hurt. So, you know you're going to get him back probably next week. Um, so, it'd be, it's probably a little hard to justify running the ball like that again once you get him back in the mix. But, I, I tell you, man, Green Bay should not trail too far away from that. I mean, I really like how they control the pace of the game. And listen, as the season goes on, as the season gets colder and colder and colder, you know, this this might be a formula, you know, a recipe for success. So, um, with all that said, man, look, you know, kudos to the Green Bay Packers. They came. They made me look like a fool because I thought they was going to get the young smoke checker, Ruski. 
Um, I do think the Cardinals, as of now, still a you know elite level like team. We need to see more. Hopefully, you know they, they this not a downfall or a spiral of some sort. As of right now, I gotta give them credit, dude, for being seven and one. So they still up a tier in the, in the NFC. But no, nah, man, the Packers showed that we we knew they was a legitimate mainstay. They showed they can get it done under any circumstance last night. I really appreciate the aggressiveness. And listen, man, hey, the the, the Packers trying to make sure the uh, they trying to let the the Bucks and the Rams and any other contenders know we here to stay. I think both teams both teams have some uh some things they can kind of you know look at you know through a positive scope but i think both teams should be we I mean, should be greatly concerned um even though both teams are seven and one but for the packers you know them them out there getting the win they were definitely the more under uh undermanned team um we talk about no Devonte adams valdez scantling uh alan lazar then you go over the defensive side you're talking about jair alexander Zadarius Smith. I mean, when you talk about Alexander, Zadarius Smith, and Devontae Adams, I mean, those are three just huge contributors to that football right. team. So that th those are huge blows. And I, by the way, I didn't think Aaron Rodgers was all that good last night. I think situationally he was he was okay. I, you know, the the two touchdown passes to Randall Cobb. I mean, I, I like what he did there. But I thought, and maybe in some of it's probably due to just you know, an, inex an inexperienced uh, receiving core. You know, we're out here breaking out the Google to find out who some of these people are. But um, but, but still, all in all, it just, man, he, it, was, it wasn't a great performance. But on the other side, it was good enough. It was good enough to get it done. And I thought defensively, Green Bay, that was a great performance. You talking about, um, we talked a little bit about, uh, before the show about the defensive coordinator also being out. So they're out here, you know, they got basically a, a dual defensive coordinator thing going where this guy's calling the coverage, that guy's calling, you know, the, the rush or whatever. They get together, they they do it in, you know, 25, 30 seconds or whatever. They get it in Devondre Campbell, and there you go. I thought when Troy Aikman was describing that, I was like, okay, this is going to be a disaster. And they made it happen. So I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. And I think on the other side, the, the, the Green Bay Packers rushing attack was outstanding. And I thought that was the difference. I thought that was the difference on that side of the ball, and really, really up front on both sides. You know, you mentioned the Green Bay pass rush. Even without Zadarius Smith, you had Preston Smith, you had Rashawn Gary, you had some, you, had, you know, guys like Kenny Clark on the inside pushing the pocket, and they did. They really took this that uh, Cardinal offensive line to the woodshed. I mean, Kyler Murray was scrambling all night. I mean, even to throw the fifty, the fifty-some yard to Hopkins. I mean, he's out there throwing that off his back foot with somebody in his face. So, you know between the Packers defense and the running attack, particularly A.J. Dillon, I thought for Green Bay's offense, that guy was the key. He plays with a, he plays with a level of physicality that Green Bay, it's useful. I know I was critical of that draft pick last year because you had Jones, you had Jamal Williams. Now that you don't have Jamal Williams, you still have that great one-two punch. It's an, you know, I'd put it, that's gotta be a top five, you know, uh, one-two punch in a rushing attack. So you like, I like what I see there. And I think you're on to something. I think, you know, maybe that's even with Devontae Adams coming back, Aaron Rodgers at an advanced age, that there's something to be said for running the football. And they controlled the clock last night. They controlled the ball uh, for over 37 minutes. And I think that had something to do with, um, you know, the somewhat ineffectiveness of the Cardinals offense. Now, for the Cardinals, the thing I think I'd be concerned about is on the flip side, this is a defense that doesn't stop the run very well. 
And when you cannot stop the run, that just sets up everything else. Then you're vulnerable to the play action. And when that happens, you're really, I mean, it, it, it's very rare that you see a defense come out there um, that can, you know, be upper echelon and, and be a champion defense that cannot stop the run. You have to start there. And they, they could not on, on too many occasions. I mean, A.J. Dillon's just, I mean, and, and a lot of plays, the corners were there. They were filling the holes. They were there to make plays, and they just, they just got out muscled by AJ Dillon. I mean, there's a play. I think it was a, it was a fourth and one that comes to mind. Jordan Hicks is in the lane. He's in the hole, and he just gets bowled over. You know, at the point of attack. So, they showed the Even graphic the, last night. The 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 touchdown by Aaron Jones with um Isaiah Simmons. Right. The, like that was that was all leg drive by Aaron Jones. Right. You know. Right. So, yeah, I think um, – and, that, and that's a rarity, like we said. Normally we talk about Green Bay, the uh, the 49ers games from, you know, couple, uh, last year or a couple couple years ago, they come to mind. But we, we, we always we, – we've been critical of Green Bay in terms of, you know, how soft they seem to be. Last night they were the more physical team. I thought it made a great difference. The one thing I would say – and well, hold up. Let me, let me go here too. I'm not – forget the last interception to A.J. Green, you know, Forget that one. Talk, tell me about the first one. I've never seen a quarterback throw a screen pass that hard. He threw an absolute bullet to whoever that was, and it bounces off the guy's hand. It's an interception. You know, I just, God, that was, I couldn't understand what he was doing there. And then, you know, and then you have Rondell Moore. He muffs a punt. I mean, just bonehead rookie mistake. We get it. But that's the, but that's the positive if you want to spin this in a positive way for Arizona, they turned the ball over three times. Green Bay turned it over zero times. And even so, they had a chance to win this game on the final possession. That's the, that's the biggest positive thing I can, I can see for the Cardinals. And it was their first loss, and they've had some – I mean, the, the game when they went to Los Angeles and beat the Rams, that was pretty eye-opening. They've also taken two other physical football teams to the woodshed in the Titans – and the Browns, you know, when you start to uh, look at teams who maybe they can replicate what the Packers were able to do last night, I think that's something teams should look to do. Well, those are two teams right there that you would think could run the football, you know, keep Kyler Murray off the field, and they weren't able to do it. They got blown out. So I think uh, even even in the loss, we got to take Arizona seriously. But as much as I think both teams are, you know, in the upper level of the NFC, both teams still have some serious issues to work on. And I think Tampa right now, is the best team in the NFC. All right, now we're going to move over to the NBA. We're going to talk about two up-and-coming young gun, you know, possibly contenders, hopefully by the end of the season in the Eastern Conference Finals. We had the Knicks versus the Bulls. The Knicks was led by, you know, 21 points from Kemba Walker, you know, 20 points from R.J. Barrett. Then we had the Bulls um, led by, you know, 25 points from Zach Levine and then 22 points from Vucevic. Um, uh, the, the Knicks did win, uh, 104 to 103, but I tell you, it got a little tight at the end. Ju you know, Julius Randle missed two free throws and the Bulls had a chance to do something with it, but they ain't do something with it. So with that said, Jay, um, we, we know the Bulls, the Bulls got out to, uh, you know, a hot start and everybody was like, oh, the new look Bulls, they ain't look this good since 72 and 10. Um. Do we need to pump the brakes or are we all gas? Yeah, that's, uh, let, let's, let's hold on. Let's hold on before we pop the champagne and, you know, <laughs> crown these guys, you know, up there with uh, the Michael Jordan three-peat bowls. 
this was definitely um i mean i get it four and oh you ain't done it in 25 years we get all that you you had you know you had a nice off season you know you got zach levine some help you know you brought in vucevic at the trade deadline uh you brought and now you got demar derozan you get it that looks nice um but keep in mind half of your wins so far were against uh the detroit pistons and that's the detroit pistons who haven't even seen their you know number one draft pick um play a game yet and then your other wins are against uh new orleans don't get me started don't get us started on new orleans we still oh, waiting for no, them to do anything and then i mean toronto i mean i guess that's something but i mean toronto i mean they were not they're not they were not the same team last year and now not only is Kawhi Leonard a distant memory, now you don't even have Kyle Lowry. So if all you know, for all the uh, flight we want to throw his way from time to time, I mean, he means something. He's you know, gonna flourish down there in Miami. But um, you know, I think uh, listen, I thought the Knicks, you know, when I look when I watched this game, I felt like the Knicks were a superior team for you know for 46 minutes, and then they just let that guard down and started playing around. And I think that's something that Tom Thibodeau, he, you know, in the film study, this is going to be one of those times where, you know, we're not necessarily, I mean, we get it. We don't, you know, let's clap our hands. We got the win. That's great. But like, guy, we got some stuff to work on. I mean, we can't be, you can't blow a 13 point lead in two minutes. And they were, there ain't many times where a team goes on a 12-0 run to end the game and they lose. That, that, that don't happen very often. So there's got to be some concern there. You got to make sure, um, you got to play a little bit cleaner. You can't make mistakes like that. Uh, and I think they'll get that corrected. I think the Knicks are a really serious team right now. The Bulls, I would say at this point, I would say, I mean, they, they appear to be a playoff team. I think, I think I'll give them that, but it, it's way too early. I mean, they, I mean, the Knicks were the first team they played. That's a, that's a serious contender. None of those, the Pistons, Pelicans and Raptors miss me with all that. None, none of those teams are serious about much anything except playing the lottery. So <laughs> I'm looking at, and, and my problem with the Bulls when I look at their roster is I get it. I mean, there's a lot to like about Levine, Vucevic, DeRozan. Dare I say that has just a little whiff of a big three. You know, it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not the biggest three you can find, but it's something. But if you look around outside of that big three, show, what else are you excited about? I mean, I like Caruso coming off the bench, and I get it. Lonzo Ball, he, you know, he's, he's something. He wasn't much last night. I guess I don't know something about When I watch Lonzo Ball play, he's just I'm, – I'm, I never walk away impressed. And then, you know, I saw him hit a couple shots last night, and then you look at the box score, and he's got six points on two for eight. Like, what is – please, come on, do something. Give me some more. Let's see. Do the LaMelo Ball stuff. Can we get some of that? But then you look at the bench, man. Outside of Caruso, I'm just not, I'm not impressed. Now you have a situation where Patrick Williams, he's a starter for you. He's out for the season, got a, got a bum wrist. So that's only gonna, you know, make your bench even thinner. I'm just saying outside of these three guys who a little bit of a big three there, perhaps. I don't see, I don't see a lot more. And with that being said, I mean, there's no way. And I, there's no way you can like convince me that they can play at the same level as the Knicks, as the Bucks, as the as the Heat, as the I mean the Nets. The Nets got to get it figured out at some point. There's no way you're taking the Bulls over the Knicks, even though the Nets are struggling right now. But I, I, there's got to be there's another team somewhere that I'm probably forgetting about in the East. My, a, Miami. I, I said hey, Miami. Miami. But, oh, okay. But you, but you get what I'm saying, like. 
right. would, if I had to project the Bulls right now, I mean, this is a seven oh. or eight seed. It was seven to sixes. That's who Philly, yeah, Philly, seven seven. Philly. Even without yeah. Ben Simmons, I mean, I, mm-hmm. yeah, I gotta for for me personally to have any level of confidence in Chicago, they gotta beat somebody that matters. Last night was their first test. They, I mean, they almost snuck. They almost snuck in there and you know got the old comeback tour. Um, but they they gonna have to beat somebody of substance for me to get excited, and they have not done that thus far. So here's my problem with this with the Bulls. All right, so the three big acquisitions that they got this offseason, because you got to remember they got Vucevic in a trade, so that, that don't count. But you get DeRozan, you got Caruso, and you got Ball. And one of those three gentlemen, this stat line last night was six, six, and four. <laughs> would That's you, not going <laughs> Would you consider that a flat line? Is <laughs> <laughs> that like. Come on, man. It Like, listen, they paid you this money that they didn't have to pay you. Could have left you in New Orleans. To, like, I mean, I got it. Like, come on. Like, okay, if you want to tell me, you know, nobody's playing well in New Orleans, so give them a fresh place and let's see what they do. And then here's your fresh place. And they got a spot for you. And they got a role for you. And they paid you the money. And then you you come in with this performance. This this is not gonna cut it. At some point, when do you say, "Hey, ball, I know we spent a lot of money for you, but we might have to put Caruso in the starting lineup because at least he's trying to. At, at least he's trying. I'm I'm sorry, but like, come on, man. Like, at least I think, Caruso. I don't think you can afford up. to do that. I don't think you can afford to do it. Do that just because. I mean, I love Caruso off the bench because he brings that energy, and that's why I think. And and plus, I've all, I mean, we've already pointed out that bench is so weak. And maybe they get some. Maybe they're missing somebody. I, mean, I see that Kobe White didn't play. Kobe White didn't play last night. That's a guy who can probably help you. But I mean, I'm just looking at the roster right now. It's 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 highly unimpressive after them top three dudes. I so I mean, right now, as I look at the Bulls, they might be a seven or eight team, seven or eight seed team at, at this. Um, I just. Listen, they four and one, so I'm not gonna like. I got it. They played some road kill out there. Somebody get this deal out the road for you know flatten my tire. I got that, but you know, I think they better than this. Still, you know, I think the way the team constructed, Billy Donovan is the coach. It's Chicago, like, golly, man, can can I get a little more? And then listen, what's up? Here's a and here's another thing to why. And I, I'm trying to give them a little bit of respect, talking about Vucevic, uh, DeRozan, and Levine. But here's another thing to think about with these guys. None of them have ever won anything. Like, the, the best, the player with the most experience, when you talk about the postseason, is DeMar DeRozan. And he was right. up there getting bronze swept for years. <laughs> so that's the best you got. Vucevic with Orlando is a first-round just, you know, gentleman sweep every season and we just haven't seen it from Levine so that's the other problem I, I have with this your best three players I'm being somewhat generous like I think best I mean could maybe all three of these guys make the all-star team but I'm, I'm looking at these guys I don't look at any of those guys as you know somebody that can be a number one player on a championship team that type of thing that's the other problem I got with the Bulls like I, I definitely think the the hype is way too much I mean I think if I, say, if I had to say at most what this team could do right now, 
maybe they win a playoff series. But beyond that, I ain't got nothing for them. So with that said, do you have that same concern with the Knicks? Because you can say the same thing about the Knicks. Julius Randle, Kemba Walker, R.J. Barrett, Evan Fournier. Like Evan Fournier. Who, who wants is, something now? Who wants something now? Give, that, give me that's, something. That's true, but they're also a lot deeper. Okay. They're also a lot deeper. And, I mean, you, I mean, you, you saw it. I mean, to me, I know the score looks pretty close, but they went on the road and they were in complete control of this game. Plus, plus we – I mean, this is a team that did taste – you know, get a taste of the playoffs last year. And I think what they've done – you know, when you bring a guy like I mean, Kimball Walker – you bring in Evan Fournier. God, I know I'm giving Evan Fournier a little praise right now. So. Ooh. <laughs> but, I'm saying, but look, those are guys that, especially the way Kemba played last night, I think that level Kemba Walker, that's what we needed in Boston last year. And so if he can provide that level of shot making and Fournier can do some shot making, that's what they needed last year. They just didn't have the shooting, that perimeter scoring. If you get those guys to do something and you see R.J. Barrett keep uh, getting better, I, th- I mean, I think the, the Knicks ceiling is much, much higher. Yeah, I, and, and listen, I, w- I, w- I would say the starting lineup seemed a little bit even. Kind of, I, I mean, I, I think starting – like to the point you made, when you got Rose coming off the bench, Alex Burke coming off the bench, Obi Toppin coming off the bench, they, they got some guys quickly getting beat. They got yes, they got some guy, and that's that's where you you separate yourself. But listen, yeah, hey Knicks, listen, Jay, you said it. They made it to the playoffs last year, and then Trey Young gave them the proverbial business. Um, and sent them home packing. Get your free luggage on your way out. You know, so <laughs> what they got to figure out. You know, first of all, who's gonna be that clutch guy? Cause hey, Julius Randle. Yeah, he's good. He's got better. Maybe Kimball Walker needs to, you know, take the reins and say, hey, listen, I have been a clutch guy for a team before. You know, I'm the most, you know, probably the most successful guy. I mean, you do got Derrick Rose, Gibson, and guys like that coming off the bench. But as a starter, he's probably the most experienced success guy, I, w- I would say, in my opinion. Um, figure out. It's about the roles for me. Like, who's the guy? Is it Julius Randle or is it Kimmel Walker? It's not. It's not R.J. Barrett. It's not every point. It's not. No. No. It's either Kimmel Walker or, or, or is you know Julius Randle. One of those two guys for me. Either you are gonna go with the experience or you are gonna go with the young up and coming that's starting to make a name for itself. Either way, you figure that out. And then I think Tom Thibodeau can handle the rest. I think he can. He can get you to where you need to be once you figure this out. Like you said. Every Fournier, you brought here to shoot the ball. Make your shots. That's what you brought here to do. We need your shooting. You know, um, and, and, and we know what the bench bring. I, I, I really like that bench. I like when Derrick Rose and Gibson come in and, you know, over top and quick. I, I really like when those guys come in because I think I think they bench kind of move with a, a more purpose, especially when Derrick Rose got it out there popping, hitting you with the, the stutter step, you know, dips it, do dungaroo, and then fly right by you. And then you like, oh, man, is that – oh, do we got on the Chicago jersey? Oh, shoot. Um, so, I I just think, like you said, interesting game. It's only the fifth game for both teams. We know they're going to play three times. This is the first of three meetings. Um, so, we'll see when, when, when game two roll around. But here's the deal, man. Listen, the Knicks are on a different level. You got to play like you on a different level there in New York because if you would have lost this game because Julius Randle out here, you know, 
I don't know what he was doing at the free throw line. I was giving a tribute to Ben Simmons. I, no, that's not going to cut it. And you would have went back to New York and lost that game, they would have hammered you for it. Even though it's the fifth game of the season, you can't do that. But, yes, I do agree. The Knicks dominated the, the game. I do think they're the better, the better team of the two. But I guess that's why we got a long season to wait. All right, so heading over to the MLB, we got game three of the World Series as the series switch over to Trustworth Park in Atlanta. Um, that's going to be on Fox. First pitch, 809. Uh, Houston going to have Luis Garcia on the mound. Atlanta going to have Ian Anderson on the mound. And uh, it seemed like Atlanta is the favorite. So with that said, Jay, what are we going to see tonight, man? Well, I think if you look back at the first two games of the series, it's really it's really come down to which team could start fast offensively, and conversely, which which team's starting pitcher was able to hold down the other team's offense. What you saw in Game One was from Valdez struggled. Uh, you know, he, he uh, the Braves were all over his uh, sinking fastball, couldn't really get the curveball going. Um, you know, they got five runs within the first three innings, and you know that was it. Uh, on the opposite side, Charlie Morton, you know, he ended up leaving the game with a broken leg. You know, amazingly, he, you know, got, I think he pitched to six batters or something crazy after Yuli Gurriel, um, you know, took that ground ball right off his leg. Uh, but he was able to come in. He was able, when he was in the game, he was able to hold things together. And then they that allowed uh, Brian Snicker to go to that bullpen and talk about those uh, three lefties. Minner came in there. He did a great job. They sprinkled in a little Luke Jackson, and then you have Matzik and Will Smith. And in the game two, it was the opposite. Houston got going quick. They put up, I think they put up five in the first two. They had a big four run inning where they just had, what, they had four straight singles at one point. They just kept the line moving. And, you know, that was, you know, that was the game there because, you know, Jose Urquidy, he wasn't, uh, he was, he didn't completely shut down the Braves. But he limited them to just two runs over five innings. You get the Astros bullpen in play. You have Javier. You got Phil Maton, Presley, Graveman. You know, those guys came in. They slammed the door. So, you know, if you look at game three, you know, sometimes it's as simple as just which starting pitcher can get out and, you know, establish what he wants to do. And, I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. You got two young guys, um, Garcia, you know, I'm thinking about this guy. You know, this is a guy who, you know, throughout the year, you know, I was, I didn't think this guy would, you know, be this key to this team at this stage. Uh, but he, but he's here now and he, he's definitely got the stuff. And you look what he did against Boston in game six of the ALCS. He was able to hold that team down, had, you know, a no hitter going through five innings. So, you know, we'll see if he can keep that going. Uh, he's had his struggles in this postseason as well. But on the other side, Ian Anderson, you know, it's a it's a new situation for him too, uh, but he's definitely got great stuff. So it's gonna it's gonna come down to you know which offense you know can able to scratch a few runs across and which starting pitcher is on their game. Uh, I'm not quite sure what to, which way to go, but uh, I, I'm obviously sticking with Houston. I'll pick them in six to start this. So I think they're gonna take two out of these three games in Atlanta, and then they'll close this thing out in Houston in Game Six. But um, that's that's where we're at. I think, uh, you know, we'll see if the home field comes into play. We'll see if the weather's, you know, a factor at all. But uh, I, I, I am taking Houston, and I, I think they'll go up 2-1. All right, very well. Um, listen, so we, we, we went from American League, you know, rules to now we're going to National League rules. And um, 
Listen, you know what I'm looking at? I, t I brought this up to you before the show. I want to see where all your Donis Everett is going to be at. Now, now that we're going to the National League rules, listen, this guy's a slugger, but we know, hey, he don't play much defense for a reason, folks. Um, he seemed like he will be out there. I want to see if that throws off Houston at, at, at some point. We know they want to go offensive. That's why they got him in there. Let's see if that... If that move will hurt their defense enough where the Braves can capitalize off of that. Um, that's that's one of the things I'm looking at. But, you know, I outside of that, I, I mean, that's the only thing. So if they figure that out or if they can make that work, I think Houston will be comfortable here. Because this is more of Houston pace here. Atlanta won the first game. Houston won the second game. You go back to that the, the last um the last round for both teams. Houston was a team that they kind of started slow, and then towards the end of each game, they picked it up. They picked it up. They picked it up. Remember this now. Boston came out there and was giving them the smoke in the beginning of the season. And then as the season went on, I mean, series. Giving them the smoke in the beginning of the series. As the series went along, Houston figured it out, and then they, they, you know, they kind of grind it, grind it, grind it. Next thing you know, it was over in six. I, I like, I felt like, and I even made a comment to you, you know, because I know how you love your your Astros. You know, I even made a comment to you like, hey, you know, hey, your boys ain't looking too good out here, baby. So, um, with that said, now that I want to say the big, one of the biggest differences now is the fact of. Instead of playing all six games under American League rules, now you're playing, you play the first two games under American League rules. Now you're switching over your your next two, you know, games probably under um, National League rules. So, I mean, I, I, I like how you can take these dynamics and these little dynamics can make a, a difference in who wins and who loses. But I am with you. I will take Houston. If the defense still is capable of doing what they got to do with Alvarez out in, the, you know, in left field, if he cannot, if they can pick on Alvarez and make him use those knees that he don't like to use, we'll, we'll see how that works. But I, I think right now on face value, I'm going to have to take Houston tonight. And to that point, that's a great point uh, about Jordan Alvarez. We were definitely curious about how Dusty Baker would manage his outfield when they went to the National League Park. And what I'm guessing is they just look at this situation and say, Jordan Alvarez, his bat is just too valuable for them to leave out the lineup. And they'll just, they'll just take the risk. You know, if there's, you know, I, the guy is not a plus defender. We just can't say that at this stage. But as long as he goes out there and just makes routine plays and doesn't like embarrass himself. And he, th this is a guy that's a good athlete. When you watch him run the bases, he's, he's a good athlete. So, you know, I, I think, I think the, the key thing for me is when Luis Garcia pitches, his cutter and slider will be paramount to this game. He's got a great cutter. It's going gonna, it's gonna to run away from right-handed batters. It's going to you know, get in on the hands of lefties. If he can have that pitch plus his slider working, that's going to yield to you know, the ball being hit the other way more than more so to left field. But, I mean, now, now if the – Depending on how the Braves work, if they attack that fastball, maybe they can get around on and maybe test Alvarez. But that's definitely something to watch to see, you know, how if the fact that Alvarez is out in left field, does that change the Braves' approach when they bat? And that's definitely something to keep an eye on. But I do think Luis Garcia has the stuff to, you know, protect Alvarez, so to speak. Similarly, 
to how when Framer Valdez is on the mound, uh, he's a he's a guy that gets a lot of ground balls, got about a 70% ground ball rate, which is just ridiculous. And you see Baker from time to time deploy Alvarez in the outfield during games like that because he knows there's not going to be a lot of balls hit to the outfield. So definitely Alvarez bears watching in the outfield, but also Garcia, how he pitches, and we'll see if that cutter and slider can pay dividends tonight. All right, moving on to the world of college football. We had a pretty packed weekend um, starting tomorrow. You got big noon, Michigan and Michigan State. Are the Wolverines for real? We will perhaps find out tomorrow at noon on big noon with the Gus Johnson and the Joel Klatz and all the rest of them out there. You also got another one in the Big Ten. You got Iowa and Wisconsin. Number nine, Iowa is a three-point underdog to a Wisconsin team who has looked quite pedestrian this year. So we'll see how that pans out. And then in the da 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 game on CBS, we got Georgia back in action. Number one, Georgia. They'll take on Florida. Florida very underwhelming this season. They're four and three. They were expected to be much better than that. Georgia's 14-point favorite in that one. We'll see how that turns out. I think Georgia should be somewhat concerned. Oklahoma with the Caleb Williams. They'll look to keep things going against Texas Tech. You got Ole Miss and Auburn. They'll get it going. Kentucky, they got, they'll be at Mississippi State. And then the big one in the evening, Penn State. They're 5-2 and two now. They're, they've fallen in the rankings to 20 by virtue of that loss to Illinois. Do they have anything left for this suddenly surging Ohio State Buckeyes? We will see tomorrow on a rare, actually decent 7.30 ABC game. Drink, all yours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> listen, here's the deal. Um, listen, I mean, me being an SEC guy, um, Alabama fan, yes, you know, I like to come in here and toot that SEC horn. But I got to say, man, this weekend seemed like the Big Ten is stepping up under the, the spot, the bright lights. Um, to say, listen, the big noon game, number six, Michigan, a four-point favorite over number eight, Michigan State. Here's the deal. The key to that game is just this. Who's going to run the ball better? It's, it's just that simple. Whoever run the ball better, probably going to win that game. Neither one of these teams just blow your socks off with the pass game. So both teams are going to get, they're going to prepare to stop the run. So they will usually tell you, well, doesn't that mean whichever team passed the ball better win? No, not really. Because if you're if you're gonna average three and a half to four yards per pass, that's you know that's gonna move the chains every now and then. But the thing is, when you be able to break through with the run, and then you dictate third down or you dictate the red zone, that's what's gonna win this game. This is not gonna be a high scoring affair, folks. That's why I'm telling you right now. I think this game is going to be based around the run and the defense, not so much the pass game. However, with that said, I am going to take, ready for it, I'm going to take Michigan State. I think Mel Tucker got those guys playing a lot better. I mean, not, not a lot better, but I just believe in Mel Tucker a little more than Jim Harbaugh at this point. Um... Because he, he, the guy jumped from, like, I felt like just yesterday he was still coaching at Georgia. But he'd already made a pit stop at Colorado. And we see what they look like since he left. And now he's up here in Michigan State. He didn't turn that program around. Um, I just like what Michigan State doing, so I'm going to take them. Number nine, I will go on to um, Wisconsin. Listen, folks, I don't know what Vegas see in Wisconsin every, every week. But they seem to be favored every other week. I mean, they might have played one game they wasn't favored in, even though they lost a lot of games already this season. 
Um, but, but you know, yes, some they got somebody got them three a three point favorite against Iowa. I'm not usually one to go against Vegas because they do a lot of research and they all about the young lettuce and you know your boy like that lettuce too. Call me a vegetarian. But I'm going to take number nine, Iowa, in that one in another low-scoring affair. I'm going to tell you, outside of, outside of Ohio State, just don't expect a whole lot of fireworks from the Big Ten. I mean, I, I, I just don't expect a lot. Yeah, you will see that when Penn State play Ohio State. Um, we got Texas going down to Baylor. I'm going to take Texas in that one. I'm going to take that for the upset. I think Texas finally finished a game because we know they can play three quarters. But some reason, that fourth quarter, shoes. Sarkeesian must go out and um, instead of he, instead of him saying hold my drink, he must be out there saying give me one. I don't know, but I'm gonna go with Texas on that one. Then you know, in in the famous and you heard you heard the harmony from my partner over there. Three thirty on CBS. You know what it is. It's the big boy time. It's number one Georgia going against Florida. Going now. Listen, this is what you got to remember. When Alabama traveled down to the swamp, they struggled. They won the game. But they struggle. The swamp is a very, very loud place to play. There's, there's no doubt about it. Now I know Florida is four and three on the season already, and I got that. But here's the deal, folks. We just seen what happened to Alabama a couple of weeks ago when they played Texas A&M at, te at Texas A&M, and I feel like this this is a game that runs a parallel with that because just like Texas A&M practice for Alabama all year and went out there and lost to Mississippi State and all these other teams. And then they got to Alabama and said, hey, boys, this is what we've been waiting to do. And they showed up. I feel like Florida would do the same thing in this game against Georgia because when Florida wake up in the morning and when they, you know, in their locker rooms and they're talking and they're wiping off days on their calendar, it ain't for Alabama. It's for Georgia because they know if they beat Georgia, they'll be able to play Alabama again. No doubt about it. But I think this game is a 14-point spread for Georgia. I don't think Georgia covers. Georgia... I think Florida roasts this game up. Georgia does win. I take Georgia to win the game, but I take Florida to cover in the game. And I do think, you know, we see some vulnerabilities out of Georgia coming out of this game once it's over. I'm going to skip that one. I'm going to skip that one. Now, they're going down to um, number 10, Ole Miss is traveling to number 18, Auburn. And, yes, folks, Auburn is a three-point favorite. I know. Bo Nix out there, he got some believers. Um, 7 o'clock on ESPN. And uh, listen, I'm I'm a little I'm a little perplexed why they got Auburn as a favorite. Now I do know this: Auburn can run the ball a lot better than Ole Miss can, but Ole Miss can throw the ball a hell of a lot better than uh, Auburn can. Um, Ole Miss got a, a Heisman candidate, you know, at quarterback with Matt Corral, and Auburn got Bo Nix. So with that said. You one would make you believe like yo why why would Auburn be favored? This is why Auburn is favored. First of all, they got a defense that can stretch you out a little longer. The clo the longer the game stay close, the higher the possibility for Auburn to win. And Vegas believes that Auburn will stay close enough where they can grind out a field goal win. That's why they got them a three point favorite. And I'm not totally wrong with that, but I'm gonna tell you like this, baby. I'm going with Lane Kiffin and Matt Corral. I know they haven't been, they haven't looked the best here lately. I hear flopping around with LSU and the likes of, but at the same time, they won the games that matter. You know, they they only lost to Alabama. There's no shame in that. So they're getting it done. They they're scratching the claw and they're winning. 
But I can definitely understand why Vegas got Auburn as a three-point favorite, but I'm going to take Ole Miss in that one. And um, to, to speed this up, I'm going to go ahead and talk about number 20 Penn State, you know, traveling to the, you know, Ohio State, 730 ABC. And just like my partner say, hey, thank you, ABC, for finally giving us something to watch on your prime time slate there with, with Penn State and Ohio State. Now, Vegas will tell you, that they did not give us nothing to watch because they got them at a 19 and a half point favorite. However, we'll see. Penn State play defense. One thing you can say about Penn State is this. They might be out here losing the teams they shouldn't lose to. You know, I shall not mention. But in every game they done played, they done played some phenomenal defense. We seen them in the slugfest with Auburn. We seen them in the slugfest with Iowa. Um, and then we seen them lose. But Ohio State would be by far, by far, it ain't close, baby, the best offense that they would see up to this point. And as long as C.J. Stroud and Chris Olave and Gary Wilson and et cetera, and these guys stay on par with what they do, I, I think the result is going to be pretty, um, shall I say, predictable. I think Ohio State should walk away with this one. But, hey. If Penn State show up and say, hey, we got athletes on this side, James Franklin is not going to USC, then maybe we might, you know, we might have us a slugfest here. And that's one thing to look out, folks. We, I know we, we're hearing this, all, all this chat about James Franklin. Will he go to USC? Could he possibly be in the running for LSU? Blah, blah, blah. Those distractions does sometimes, you know, make your team think like, hmm. Well, I don't know if I want to go all out for this cat. He might not even be here next year. Listen, and I know the Sean Clifford, you know, injury is part of it too. But at the same time, maybe they could pick themselves up. Listen, a win over Ohio State, even though Ohio State then lost already, would do wonders for Penn State. Who knows? Jane Franklin might just shut down all the rumors like Mike Tomlin did, right? So with that said... Um, I, I will take Ohio State, I, I, but I take Penn State to cover. I don't, I don't think Ohio State, you know, 19 and a half. I think Penn State play a little closer than that. But I would take, um, I would take Ohio State to win the game, Penn State to cover, and those are the highlight games for me, Jay. Uh, Penn State lost to Illinois last week. Um, yeah, just, yeah, to, okay. just to throw that, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll drop that one. You know, it's, a, it's great. You live a, we live in a brave new world. I think they played like seven overtimes last week in about 10 minutes. So um, that's that's new. That's fresh. Um, that's improving. I'm going to tell you, though, um, th these appear to be two teams headed in polar opposite directions. Um, Ohio State, they have figured it out. You know, I was critical of them earlier in the season. Um, in week one against Minnesota, they didn't look great. You lose to Oregon. They did not look like a playoff team. Um, they got it rolling now. Um, so see if they're able to continue that and i'm telling you there's some some quarterbacks you know i've been talking about spencer rattler later uh, lately and i just i mean that guy don't inspire confidence somebody i mean sean clifford like i mean he, this guy just he don't, I'm, i don't he does not inspire confidence for me so oh. so yeah i think ohio state gonna <laughs> run away with that one it looked like they have reestablished control of the big 10 even though i mean they still look they, they're gonna meet michigan and michigan state down the line speaking of which um, that's a bona fide big noon game. I swear, this is what we're gonna find out. We've been we've been doing the week for week. Doing is Michigan for real? Are they for real? What you think? 
Well, we're gonna find out. This is yeah. this is it. Because this is gonna set the stage for the rest of the season for the Michigan Wolverines. If they come out here and flop around and they lose to Michigan State, they will lose to Penn State and Ohio State, in my estimation. It'll just be the same old Michigan. Just put your khaki pants in the closet and get them out. And try, we'll try again next year. Um, now, if they win, that'll be the first time where we've looked at them this season and said, oh, Michigan, they, they didn't done something. And they'll be on the road. So it'll be a big test. Um, we know what Michigan's been about. They've been highly effective running the football, running football, play defense. Um, I think these are I think these are pretty like similar teams. You know, Michigan State, they just got for me, they got a reputation going back to D'Antonio where, you know, they, they hard nose physical physical football. So it's I mean it's gonna be what they you know, from time to time you hear a rock fight. That's what I think it's gonna turn out to be. So uh, I'm definitely uh excited for that one. I think it will be low scoring. I'm going to go against the grain. I'm going to take Michigan. Not, don't have much confidence in it at all, but I'm going to go with Michigan. I think they finally get it done, and we'll just, yes, Jim Harbaugh, you did it. Um, I don't want a big one. <laughs> yeah, I want a big one. And then we're going, we going to look at you and say, okay, well, the real big one is at the end of the season. How about you try right. to win that one too? Um, you know, Georgia and Florida, I'm with you. I'm with you on this one. I think uh, even though, you know, I think Georgia, Georgia probably wins this game, look, don't be deceived about Florida. You know, one thing about them is um, they lo- their losses are close. They lost to Bama by two. Kentucky got them by seven. And they lost to LSU by seven. So, you know, what that tells me, and I know Georgia's a different animal, but, I mean, even against Bama, you know, they, you're not going to – I find it hard to believe that you're going to run away from them. And Georgia, we've talked about them. Their, their constant is their defense. So – that's going to be the matchup. How does, can Florida, you know, can they get anything going against Georgia's defense? But on the flip side, Georgia's offense doesn't strike me as an offense that's just going to run away from you. I think their strength is running the ball, controlling the clock. They're, they're a classic run the football, play defense type of team. So I think, you know, just going off by that, I think it will be, it will set up to be a close game. You know, maybe you could talk me into Georgia winning by 10, but I think it's competitive as long as Florida doesn't come in um, you know, in the neutral side in Jacksonville and just start, you know, just, you know, out there looking like the uh, Salvation Army, just giving the ball away. You know, I think um, I think Florida will be in that name. I think it'll be uh, highly competitive. You know, last, you know, the last one I get in here. I'm just, you know, I, I'm watching, I'm watching Wake Forest creep up the rankings. I really am. They're sitting at 13 right now. It's going to be another week, I guess, of us thinking, oh, could Wake Forest, could they make some noise in here? Please, please, somebody between North Carolina, NC State, Clemson, Boston Cop, please, someone stop this clown show that's running through. This is, God, this is a farce. I don't want this team winning the ACC and crashing the party because they're going to get, they will get romped by a real team from a real conference. So please, North Carolina, NC State, Clemson, some, anybody, because I don't think it's going to be Duke. I really don't. I've seen Duke. Virginia beat them 48 nothing, so that tells you all you need to know about Duke this year. Please, one of these teams in the coming weeks, get these dudes out of here. I don't want to see it any further. I don't want to see it. Yeah, so I just want to say before, listen, my bad. I did, I did mention the swamp. I forgot this is the biggest cocktail party outside, so this game is getting played in Jacksonville in the TAA, you know, Jacksonville Stadium. My bad. Just want to throw that out there for you. Biggest one, of the year in the, yeah, biggest one of the year in the pool. 
All right, time to finish off the show with rap reactions. A lot of topics, a little bit of time. Take it away, drink. Let's roll, baby. On Thursday, the NCAA um, CP sent a letter to the Players Association and five professional sports leagues urging the uni unions to not sign with professional teams in Texas due to the recent laws on abortion, voting rights, and mask mandate. Jay, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I probably shouldn't give thoughts because I'm a white man, but I'm going to tell you, I think this is just so, so ridiculous. They, they, the, NDA, the NAACP wants players to not sign in Texas where they don't have a state tax, so they just want to make this thing political. I think that's dangerous. I hope, I hope players um, don't listen to it. And also, I'd like to hear from Jerry Jones on this. Can we get a comment, please? Anyway, LSU football coach Ed Orgeron told the media that his team was unable to hold a full practice on Wednesday due to so many injuries. You ever heard of anything like that, Drink? Well, let me tell you something. Either they're going to forfeit the game. No, this is some bull crap. Just three years ago, you saw talking about how you was going to own Alabama. You was going to beat they, you know, beat they blanket and blanks every time you see them and everything. Now you're telling me you ain't got enough players. And then it's not even due to COVID. It's due to lack of milk. So this is, like, ridiculous. Yeah, and, and, you know, we got Division three teams that ain't pulling this crap right here. And you... You get a top 10 recruiting class every year. You got enough players. That's a bit outrageous. But, hey, that, how do you expect the coach to act when they on their way out? He know he got the acts coming. So, he like, hey, we got enough players. What you want me to do? So, that's that. Los Angeles Angels two-way superstar Shotana Otani was voted player of the year in the Baseball Player Choice Award. And that are that voting on my MLB players. You agree with this? I do. I mean, the guy pitches, he hits, he, he does it all. And I, I don't see a player this year, you know, in either league who, you know, was able to do more than he did pitching or hitting in a stance. So I'm, I'm fine with this. Um, I, I think I think it's the right choice. Los Angeles Lakers superstar point guard Russell Westbrook got thrown out of Wednesday's loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder after taking exception to a late dunk by the Thunder's Darius Baisley. Uh, what do you think of Westbrook standing by his actions that got him ejected? a superstar man what, what are we doing here that's you send one of the young goons to do that like you said like this is a Dwight Howard like you're right it's that all the young goons still recovering right <laughs> but listen this what are we doing here like Westbrook please don't this this is a championship level team man when everybody's doing what they supposed to do knock it off what you okay he dunked the ball and then I, I seen this play. He's like running after him. The referee to ask him to knock it off like seven times. Um, he almost ran over his own player. Like knock it off. Just like what are we doing, man? I, I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not a fan of that whatsoever. Atlanta superstar point guard Trey Young was critical of the officials after Thursday's night loss to the Washington Wizards. How serious are you taking Young comments, Jay? Oh, not not too serious at all. I mean, they've made rule changes. You know, we've it's not just something that's going to affect Trey Young. I mean, James Harden's you know he's having some struggles with this as well. And you know, you know, great players. I think we, you know it's uh, incumbent upon them to adjust. I think that's what Trey Young, you know, should do. I think he should take more time uh, to do that uh, instead of uh, crying about the officiating. Officiating, they just out here. You know, whatever the rules are, that's what they gonna go with. So. Right. Um, Detroit Pistons number one overall pick K Cunningham is expected to make his NBA debut tomorrow night against the Orlando Magic. What kind of stat line do you expect from him? Mm, I'm looking at 12, 
let's go 12, 4, and I say 6. Uh, 12, 4, 6, something like that. I know I'm being generous, but hey, it's the Orlando Magic. You can't do it against them. You won't do it against anybody. So, yeah, I'm looking at that. Um, They fed you up to the um, basement of the NBA, so let, let's make it happen, Al Cade Cunningham. You are the number one overall pick after all. The San Diego Padres have hired now former Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin after 11 years in the Bay Area and three American League West titles. Will Melvin make the Padres a serious contender? I think he will. Um, I think, you know, he spent a long time in the uh, in American League West. He's recently been, you know, dominated by the Astros, as you, uh, as you well know. But, um, you know, still three American West titles in that, um, in that city with that stadium that's just, a, just an eyesore beyond belief. Uh, and, you know, Oakland's one of those teams that they don't come out here with the huge payroll that, you know, they um, they got to, you know, engage in player development. They, they're not really big on free agency. So to have that kind of success um, in Oakland, I think I think Bob Melvin, he, he is a guy who can get these guys to where they want to go because they were a major disappointment in the second half of this season. Dolphins coach Brian Flores remained steadfast in his support of his quarterback earlier today when he told reporters that Tua Tagovailoa will be his quarterback for the rest of the season. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that Tua will indeed be Miami's quarterback for the rest of the year? Yeah, I, I give it a 6 for the rest of the year. The, the, the problem with this is, even though we hear all the, the chatter and, and the workings of, oh, Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is the only name you hear. So that's why I give it about a 6, 7. I say a 6 or, or 7 because the Dolphins aren't the only team going after Deshaun Watson, one. And then, two, we know the problems that, that's plaguing Deshaun Watson right now. So, yeah, and I mean, listen, here's the thing. Every, like, what is he supposed to say? He know his offensive line is, is the squid games. He know this. He know whoever he put back to Deshaun Watson, John Watson, Tom Watson, it don't matter. It, like, they're going to get smoked. That offensive line couldn't stop me from getting a sack. So, so let you can put whoever you want back there, but until you fix that, it it really doesn't matter. It's not you know it's a team game. You need everybody to perform in football. So that's that. The Rams will work with wide receiver Deshaun Jackson on a trade as the veteran speedster has struggled to find playing time this season. What one team should be interested in Jackson's services? There's multiple. One of the team, one of the teams, maybe we're not thinking about it. Perhaps the New Orleans Saints. The Saints, who are, you know, they without Michael Thomas, they don't have a heck of a lot uh, on the outside there. The tight ends, I mean, they're nothing special either. So if you can get, you know, we know how they like to run the football. If you get a get some, uh, get that running game going, do some hard play action, take some shots. Sean Jackson could be the guy, and we've seen him in Week Three had a long touchdown against the Bucks, I believe it was. He still has the speed. He just needs more opportunities, and he's not getting them with. Uh, uh, Jefferson, Woods, and Cup. You know, those guys are all in the way. Last one tomorrow afternoon. It's UFC 267. Uh, Blachowicz versus Teixeira on ESPN. Pay-per-view at the Ethiad Arena in the, uh, the UAE. The main event is a light heavyweight title fight between the light heavyweight champ, uh, Jan Blachowicz, and the number one ranked contender, Glover Teixeira. Drink, who you got? Oh, yeah, yeah, this is an easy one. Um, Jan is going to probably go out here and go out here and get the young smoke check. Listen, I got respect for Glover to share, but he's been around for a while. This is the last hoorah. He did enough. I'm not. He's definitely um, a, a, a capable opponent for this. He deserves this, rightfully so. But this is probably the end of the road for that. Uh, so I'm going with um, Blant. He probably knocked him out, too. I'm going to go with old Blantovich for the knockout. 
And uh, yeah, that's that. See you later, Global. All right, that concludes tonight's Drink of Wisdom. As always, like, listen, share, subscribe. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jay Watts. And I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we going to do. We going to holler at you until next time, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, this is A Drink of Wisdom.